It's Monday, it's 11.30 here on the 8th day of February, and it's time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Whole cast of characters all here today. We'll hear from Susan Littlefield in just a moment. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen. We'll recap the Super Bowl in a little bit. And then uh, Bob will tell us how stocks are performing. Looks like they're uh, they're going up. A lot of green so far today. But let's turn things over to uh, Susan Littlefield. And on the eastern side of the state, Susan, how are things there? Are you staying warm? Yeah, we've warmed up to a whopping, um, what'd they say, four degrees? I mean, four degrees we've come up to, so now we're at zero, is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's better than us. We're at uh, minus three here at the station. You guys keep it. Yeah, there's not much of a difference. Either way, it's cold, Either wherever you're at. Yes, very much so. Well, what do you have for us coming up today? Well, we've got a couple things that we're working on. We'll kick it all off um, at 1219 as Dave will be stepping in. He's got an interview with the lieutenant governor he's going to share with us. Then Alex will come in at 1245 as its applications for the Nebraska Land Link program are now open. We'll hear more from Extension Educator Alan Vanalik as he shares his information about the program. And then wrapping it all up at 117, Dave is back in again as he talks with the Dawson County Cattlemen. They had a Hall of Fame take place just this last weekend. So he has an interview with that Hall of Famer for 2021. All right, very good. Thank you, Susan. And uh, try to stay warm today. Oh, yes, you guys too. All right, thank you very much. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen and sports. And, well, I'm happily uh, going to admit that I was wrong on my Super Bowl prediction uh, saying that the Chiefs are going to win. And I'm fine Me that uh, Tampa Bay won. Um, I'm great with it. Here, here's the only thing I would say, and I, I don't want this to rub people the wrong way, but sure I've, I've, I've thought sure about this do. for a while. Maybe, maybe the bandwagon fan base in the media should wait for a guy and a team to win more than one Super Bowl before they declare them the best ever and the greatest of all time. Because to me, the GOAT mm-hmm. is Tom Brady, whether you like him or you don't. Agreed. No, I agree with that. Uh were we? Were, was there a lot of people crowning the Chiefs as the best ever? Oh, Chiefs fans, all you got to do is look at Facebook. <laughs> I mean, and, and there were crickets last night on Facebook. No, you, you are not <laughs> wrong. I feel like last year they were coming out of the oh, weeds. Oh yeah, no, you're I mean, not Patrick wrong. Mahomes is great, sure. and he has a heart of a champion. Last night, mm-hmm. look at the beating he was taking mm-hmm. in the second half of that game, and he's still trying to make plays, but. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. No, that's fair. Listen, we've said this before leading into the Super Bowl. Don't bet against Tom Brady. What did I do? I bet against Tom Brady. It's a long long time Broncos fan. I didn't like him all those years that he would do in the Broncos. And they beat him a couple times, too. But if you can't respect what this guy's doing at 43 years old. Now, he puts himself in good situations. I mean, he he, he joined the Buccaneers, not the Jaguars. Right. No, he knows what he's uh, doing. John Elway and John Mount, Joe Montana weren't slinging touchdown passes in the Super Bowl when they were 43 years old. Really has to make you think, if you're other NFL players, get on that guy's diet. Do yeah. what he's doing yep. if you're really serious about having a long mm-hmm. career. Granted, the quarterback position nowadays is totally different. But yeah, it's, it's touch football compared yeah, to what yeah. it used to be. But regardless, impressive stuff. Congratulations to uh, now Tampa Bay. <laughs> uh, let's turn things over to uh, Bob Rogan. Bob, I think you predicted, which, I think you predicted Tampa. Uh, let's not go back and visit that. Um, I think I. everybody knows who I picked, and uh, we'll just pass over that. Stocks higher today, adding to a streak that gave the market its best weekly gain since November last week. All right. Details. 
It's time for Regional Ag Weather Update, and Paul Perkins is now joining us here on this very frigid Monday. And unfortunately, Paul, things are just going to get colder as the the week goes along. Yeah, if you thought this morning was cold, uh, just wait till the end of the week, especially Thursday night into Saturday. And there are some forecast models that are actually pointing towards the possibility of sub-zero temperatures for daytime highs on mm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it's, right now the current forecast is sing, low single digits for highs for the most part, but don't be surprised if those temperatures do get revised downward by the end of the week. Last week you mentioned that uh, this would be a, a polar vortex. Is this officially a polar vortex here in our area? Yes, yeah, so continuing to spill a lot of cold Arctic air into the region, and it looks like it's not really going to let up until maybe about the 20th of the month when we see, could see finally temperatures hit the freezing mark. And usually this time of year we're in the low 40s for right. ice. And this morning uh, the state low in Nebraska was 21 below in Ord. Uh, there were many locations with wind chills down to 32 below, as such as in Lexington. Uh, the nation's low, though, not we weren't close to it. It was 36 below in International Falls, Minnesota. Oh, my goodness. Within 15 degrees of the coldest temperatures in the nation. Well, we certainly think of those ranchers and farmers and everybody that has to be outside because these are dangerously cold temperatures. Exactly. And, of course, just taking care of the livestock, making right. sure that they're out of the cold in some form or another and able to battle this cold. How about snow? Do we have any idea of if we'll have any more snow in the near future? Looks like some persistent off and on chances once again as we head towards about Wednesday night into the weekend. And right now the long-term forecast kind of pointing towards some pretty good chances of snow once again coming up this weekend. Okay, so can, not a, maybe as much as what we got last weekend, but or is it still too early? Wouldn't be surprised if we see some you know off and on three and four inch uh, amount of snow chances as we move through the weekend because... We're not going to see a very organized storm system, but as we found out this weekend, with this cold air, any bit, a little bit of moisture moves through, and that snow just fluffs up and it accumulates very quickly. Paul, my yard doesn't have any more room for this <laughs> snow. I don't know where to go with it anymore. Yeah, some big piles starting to mount up across the region right now, that's for sure. Right now, our temperature is still in the single digits, just above and below zero, still down to minus one in the Lexington area, and also right at one above in the uh, North Platte area. So many locations at or just uh, below below zero um, zero degree temperature mark. And with those uh, winds right now, luckily there's not too much of a wind, but still seeing some dangerously cold wind chills in the teens below zero, especially on into southeastern areas of Nebraska. But a very chilly morning right now, but luckily those winds aren't all that strong. Our temperatures through the weekend exact expected to be mostly 35 degrees colder than normal as additional cold Arctic air spills south with this polar vortex. Through the day Thursday, most of our daytime highs will range in the upper single digits. Wednesday is going to be the so-called warmest day of the next seven, with highs in the low teens. Our most brutal cold air of this ongoing Arctic outbreak, that arrives Thursday night into Saturday. So yes, it will get colder. Record cold daytime highs and morning lows are possible. Daytime highs will be as cold as the low single digits for Friday and Saturday. Now, today and tomorrow on the precipitation front, we will be mainly dry. Some off and on snow chances do return as soon as tomorrow night in northern areas and the rest of the region by Wednesday night. The mainly small chances for snow right now will persist through the weekend with some light to moderate accumulations. In our long-term forecast, 
colder than normal temperatures are likely to continue in Nebraska and Kansas, especially early on for the period of this weekend through February 21st. For reference point, central Nebraska average daytime highs in the middle of February, usually in the low 40s with average overnight lows in the upper teens. Something to watch that goes along with that cold, above normal precipitation, especially likely this weekend and very early next week for Nebraska and Kansas before the outlook trends near normal for precipitation by the middle of next week through the 21st. Key weather factors impacting the markets include Bitter cold threatening the Southern Plains winter wheat crop. Some showers for Argentina and temporary dry weather in Brazil. Bitter cold will persist the rest of this week across the north central U.S. where sub-zero temperatures will occur each night. Temperatures should fall to near zero as far south as Kansas and Missouri. Snow has recently fallen across parts of the northern and central plains, but there are some gaps in coverage in some winter wheat production areas, especially east Colorado, west Kansas, northeast Montana, and the western Dakotas. With temperatures falling near or below zero for a wide section of the Southern Plains for a good period of time, the exposed winter wheat will be at increased risk for winter kill, especially late this week into the weekend. In Brazil, dryness behind the front has led to a few days of harvesting soybeans and planting second crop corn. Later this week, showers will fill back in. The return of the showers will keep germination of the second crops, but further delay harvest and planting. Argentina mostly dry this weekend. Showers will increase across the west and north early this week, then across the north and east later in the week. Some areas will likely be missed, leading to more dryness concerns in the middle of Argentina for corn and soybeans in the reproductive to filling stage. Central Argentina has seen heavy rain mixed with prolonged dry stretches this last month, which has led to a mix of crop conditions. Is it this odd to have this prolonged period of time for these low of temperatures, these cold of temperatures? I would say so because, yeah, you know, usually we get these for maybe three or four days. Right. But, you know, this is probably going to last, you know, a good week to ten days mm-hmm. here, especially with uh, persistent temperatures only in the single digits for highs. I can remember it was back in 83. We had, of course, a brutally cold winter, a lot of snow on the ground in December, and there was like a week it didn't get above zero the entire week. We may repeat that here this week. (laughs) Very close, yeah. All right, very good. Uh, For more weather information, where can somebody go to find that? Weather page, krvn.com. On the next Rural Radio Forum, we learn how businesses and entities adapted and overcame the worldwide pandemic in the past year. We'll tell stories of success, perseverance, and people who made lemonade out of the 2020 sour lemons. From macro to micro levels, people of the Great Plains learned to carry on to the COVID crisis. Brought to you by the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program. Join us for the next Rural Radio Forum, February 9th at 3 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. Mountain Time on KRB. Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. I had the privilege of visiting with Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley here at the Dawson County Cattlemen's Banquet at COSAD. And, and Lieutenant Governor, the legislature is off and running. What are some of your observations of how things have started so far? Well, it's gone pretty well so far. But this is a very interesting legislative session. You know, with this COVID situation, uh, the, the numbers are trending in the right direction, but you just never know if it might flare up. So uh, because of the concern over that, the legislature has kind of uh, <clears throat> reshuffled the deck a little bit. Ordinarily at this time of year, they would be on the floor of the legislature debating bills that have advanced from committee, and then they would reserve their afternoons for the required committee hearings. Every bill requires a public hearing, and there's about 650 bills that have been introduced. 
what they've done this year is they're, they're having their committee hearings mornings and afternoon to get those all out of the way. And then starting March 15th, they'll be on the floor of the legislature all day long <clears throat> debating the bills that advance from committee. So they've changed this up a little bit, and it's making um, things pretty interesting. They've got a lot of work ahead of them. As I say, there's 650 bills introduced. It's a little bit below what they ordinarily would do. They kind of wanted to reduce their workload, I think, a little bit, which is wise. But anyway, they're, they're working through that. They're working on the state budget, naturally, because this is the first year of a two-year cycle. So we've got to have a new state budget. And the governor's presented his budget to the legislature. Now the Appropriations Committee is peeling that apart layer by layer and, and rebuilding the budget to fit their needs, and then they'll hand it off to the governor, and he'll, he'll uh, review it and possibly line items, things we never know. And uh, once they get that budget done, then they'll concentrate on the rest of the bills. And I don't know if they'll go a full 90 days this year or not. It kind of depends on COVID. A lot of the senators uh, have been exposed to it. They're nervous about it. And uh, so I don't, if, they, if they peel off a few of those days and quit a little bit early, that, that would not surprise me at all. But uh, this is the long year, 90 days, and they'll come back next year for the second year of the biennium for 60 days. But so far, so good. The uh, property <clears throat> tax is uh, kicking off already here in the legislature, so they have a uh, uh, want to really get into that. Property tax continues to be the dominant issue in the legislature, and that doesn't surprise me. I travel all across the state, and I love doing it. I meet some of the most remarkable people in the world. And they come up and say, look, you got to fix this property tax, and it's killing us. And I, and I feel for them, but... The challenge is the state of Nebraska does not levy the property tax, and the state of Nebraska does not receive a nickel in property tax revenue. Property tax is, for the most part, controlled by local government. It's the cities, the towns, the villages, and mostly the school boards who control the property tax. If you look at your property tax statement, about 60% of your property tax bill goes to the local public school system. And we want a good, strong public school system, but it's expensive. But people say, look, it's just these high taxes are killing us. You've got to fix it. So the one tool in our toolbox at the state level is the property tax credit program. Last year, legislature passed LB 1107, which is going to put in literally hundreds of millions of dollars into the property tax credit program, which will be an offset to your property tax bill. But that's not the full solution. We've got to do something more about controlling spending by local governments. And that's where the governor's come in with this newest proposal, which is a, a constitutional amendment that would provide that the local units of government cannot increase your property tax bill by more than 3% in any given year. And that bill's going to receive some opposition, no doubt about it. Local governments don't want to be told how much to spend or how much what the limit is on, on their spending. But we've really got to put some controls on there because otherwise uh, all this money that the state is putting into the property tax credit program will just get eaten up by local governments and uh, they'll, they'll continue to grow their operations. We don't want that. We've been visiting with Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley and I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped in, and uh, we were talking Super Bowl last hour. We'll lead off with Super Bowl this hour. And, again, we were both wrong about our predictions of who's going to win at the championship, and uh, we're both fine with it. Yeah. Stop me if you've heard this before. Tom Brady's won another Super Bowl. Tom Brady was the Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, he's had a good run. I remember, what was it, seven, eight years ago when he came out and said, I'm going to play, I'm, I want to play until I'm 45. Mm -hmm. And people laughed mm -hmm. and they scoffed mm -hmm. and they were like, no, there's no way. I don't know. 
what I saw last night, he's got enough tread on the tires for at least next year, which would push him to 44. I was thinking about this with the age range as well. You think of guys like Peyton Manning and all those other guys that were out there. Those guys, you knew, were on their last leg. Even that last year that the Broncos you know, right, got yeah. to, I mean, he didn't have much left. He just looked old, like <laughs> he, he was did. just walking around. And Tom Brady, this whatever he's got going on, his little plan, it makes a big difference. Fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. So the Buccaneers win the title and wraps up the football season. Husker basketball, women lost yesterday. Sam Hybe scored 20, but it wasn't enough. As Rutgers hadn't played a game in 36 days, but it was Nebraska that looked rusty. As uh, Huskers lost it at the rack, 78-62. They are now 9-7 overall, 7-6 in the Big Ten. Husker man, they started to knock some of the rust off on Saturday night. Just an ugly game in East Lansing as they dropped that one to Michigan State. 66-56. Huskers are back in action tonight. They take on a pretty good Minnesota squad. That one begins at 7. We'll bring it to you on 880-KRVN. Looking up and down the schedule, Tyler, I I don't know where a win comes from. <laughs> Coach Hoiberg and company. Well, have they made up or found places to make up those games that they missed? They missed like five games, yeah, didn't they? They've got a big run of games in front of them to try mm. to finish this thing off. Cook senior thrower T.R.S. Schmidt had another strong weekend as UNK track and field team won five events at the Bearcat Invitational. Schmidt, now ranked third nationally in the weight throw and 12th in the shot, was a double winner as she tossed the shot 46 feet 7 and 3 quarter inches and recorded a 62 feet 9 and a half effort in the weight throw. Her heave in the weight throw was a new meet and field house record, and Hastings junior Seth Simonson is now ninth in Division Two in the 800. See, turn in a career low of 1 minute 51.77 mm. seconds. So some good stuff there out of the Loper Tracksters. And the Australian Open is underway. A total crowd at Melbourne Park on the first day hit about 18,000, including day and night sessions in the three divided zones. That's well down from the 65,000 fans that crammed into the grounds a year ago, but that's way more mm-hmm. than any other major set. Nice to have the fans back. Even I understand uh, in the tennis world, they're not making a lot of noise. But still, when something happens, there's something there. Also, I thought that was great how creative they were last night in Tampa with how they kind of mixed the real fans and the cardboard fans. Mm -hmm. That thing looked pretty full, and it didn't didn't look fake at all. The cutout fans didn't look like the cutouts that you and I would probably make or see. They look legit. I was impressed watching that last night, and I had to take a little closer look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they they mixed them in, and then you get your social distancing, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. hopefully none of those uh, cardboard fans, you know, acted up during the game. That's right. None of them ran on the field, (laughs) at least. Do we know that for sure? (laughs) Uh, By the way, our man uh, Peyton Manning did make the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well deserved. If he can't make it the first time uh, for a selection. That's right. (laughs) All right, very good. Thank you, Jason. The next Rural Radio Forum. We learn how businesses and entities adapted and overcame the worldwide pandemic in the past year. We'll tell stories of success, perseverance, and people who made lemonade out of the 2020 sour lemons. From macro to micro levels, people of the Great Plains learn to carry on to the COVID crisis. Brought to you by the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program. Join us for the next Rural Radio Forum, February 9th at 3 p.m. Central Time, 2 p.m. Mountain Time on KRB. 
Time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder has now stepped in. And uh, Dave, sound like you had an eventful weekend. How things go? Well, yeah, it was a pretty good weekend. You know, it was interesting. I was doing some business uh, over the weekend, and and uh, the person I was dealing with uh, noticed that I was a news director. And uh, she started asking me questions about my, my job and, and what I liked about it. And mm-hmm. then a couple of questions in, I got to thinking, well, what's going on here? Wait a minute. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So You were being interviewed yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like a shakedown here of Dave Schroeder. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. But one question she asked is what I enjoyed about my job, and it's, that, uh, it's, it's meeting a lot of different people. And, uh-huh. and among them is Terry Crawford uh, right oh, here yeah. in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And uh, Terry Crawford was inducted by his peers this past Saturday evening into the Dawson County uh, Cattlemen Hall of Fame. Crawford said he and his wife, Sherry, established the Walking Sea Cattle Company around 1978 near Lexington. We've uh, always had the goal of having cows and then feeding the calves out. And we finally reached that. And the other goal was to have all the cows have one brand, the Walking Sea brand. Yes. And we've reached that now. Because, uh, you know, it took years to t- – uh, change comes slow. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of years to get to the point where we're at today. Walking Sea is a diversified farming operation, starting with a red Angus herd that provides stock for their feed yard. And we'll hear more from Terry coming up at 1.17 p.m. with our feature interview right here. Last year, the pandemic forced a pause in the legislature, and the pandemic has changed the way the legislature is operating now. Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley, who presides over the legislature in his role, explains more about that. Ordinarily at this time of year, they would be on the floor of the legislature debating bills that have advanced from committee, and then they would reserve their afternoons for the required committee hearings. Every bill requires a public hearing, and there's about 650 bills that have been introduced. What they've done this year is they're, they're having their committee hearings mornings and afternoon to get those all out of the way. And then starting March 15th, they'll be on the floor of the legislature all day long debating the bills that advance from committee. Lieutenant Governor Foley says he wouldn't be surprised if the legislature does not go the full 90 days for this year's session because of ongoing pandemic concerns. One of the tasks ahead of them is passing the biennium budget for the state. He says the governor is proposing only a 1.5% increase in state spending. Lieutenant Governor Foley was a special guest of that Dawson County Cattlemen Annual Meeting Saturday evening in Cozad. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Land Link program is setting out to connect new land seekers with landowners. And today we're learning more about the program with Alan Vanalik. He is a farm and ranch succession educator with Nebraska Extension. Alan, tell us first about the Land Link program. What is it? Well, the Land Link program is uh, in an effort to try and put uh, land seekers, uh, young people that don't have access to farm ground through their families or whatever, with landowners, uh, people that don't have the next generation coming back to the farm or ranch. And so we're just trying to make a, a database of each, uh, land seekers and landowners, to let them uh, list their services or list their operations and uh, see if we can make a match. Um, uh, it's not going to be public. Nothing's going to be published publicly. It's all kind of get the database will be recorded and basically brought to me, and me and another small team will review everything and maybe make some phone calls, do some interviews with people, 
and uh, with both the land seekers and landowners and then see if we can make some matches. So what was the reason behind Nebraska Extension launching this program? Basically, uh, three reasons. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned it already. For land seekers, one of their biggest uh, barriers to getting started in agriculture is just the land base itself. So we're trying to create a way for them to get, you know, to explore what land would be available. For landowners that don't have one coming back, coming back to their operation, uh, if they really want their op, this is a chance that if they really want their operation to continue as its own entity, doesn't just get sucked up by the neighbors. I, it's a poor way of saying it, but uh, it, it's just so it doesn't get dispersed and, and taken to to surrounding farmers and ranchers. Uh, if they want to keep it as its own operation, it's a way to do that. And then the third reason I think is something we really have to think about too, and that is we know from a long, long, long time research that. If we keep farm operations in business as their own separate operation, uh, we can keep uh, rural main streets healthier. We keep more businesses afloat. We keep keep more families living in small rural towns. And so we wanted to have rural development for Nebraska. And one way we do it is to keep farm op- farm and ranch operations in business. Okay, so walk us through the process then for both a land seeker and a landowner. What do they need to do to get into this program? So, okay, all the for both landowners and land seekers, you start the same webpage, farm.unl.edu slash landlink, all one word. And then there will be a separate page there for land seekers, separate page for landowners. The landowners will go to their – they can watch – people – all groups can watch the introductory video that Jessica and I put together. And then uh, the, the landowners then – we go to their page, and there's some other videos there about how they fill out their application, and there's an application there that you fill out online. And I would, I would recommend that they spend some time looking, uh, listening to the video talking about how to fill out their application and listen to those instructions first before they go out to go to fill the application out because you're not going to fill the application out in five minutes. It's going to be a little bit longer process than that. So make sure you have all your materials together to do that. And there's some other support videos there that I've put together and, and had help with putting together on things like what do you expect to be the generational differences between if you're working with the younger generation and how, what are some suggestions on how you would uh, visit with the younger generation if I get you a match to consider and uh, just a bunch of other videos like that to kind of support the whole effort. So I do want to ask, is this for land seekers, is this a program for land seekers who have never owned land at all or for people who are younger but wanting to expand their operations or does it matter? Uh, it doesn't matter both. Actually, actually, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the big things that uh, we, we try, we're trying to do is make it as flexible as possible. So, yes, we want to have people that are not currently in ag a part of this. We want to have people that have an agricultural operation that would like to expand it to be a part of this. And we're also uh, trying to, to support the idea that if somebody wants just to, if they're near one of the largest cities in Nebraska, well, near any city in Nebraska, and they want to explore a farmer's market thing, or if they want to explore, explore um, raising, uh, come pick your own uh, operation, that sort of thing. If they want a smaller number of acres, one, five, 10, 20 acres, some small, maybe a landowner would be willing to give up just a, a small portion of their, a corner of their ground for somebody to come out and have that kind of enterprise and then try to either generate some part-time money or make that for their full-time gig. Uh, either way, we're trying to we're trying to be flexible with everyone that would like to consider uh, working in agriculture. Absolutely, Alan. Is there a deadline for either a land seeker or a land owner to apply for this, or is it just a rolling program? 
kind of be rolling along, just kind of wide open. Whenever you get in is when you get in, and that's when you'll kind of get considered. But the land seekers are going to have to really be patient because I'm, I've been talking with other uh, states that have had something like this, and, and even even the Center for Rural Affairs had something like this going. We're going to probably end up with 20 or 30 land seekers for every landowner that registers land. So just understand that um, everybody's going to have to be patient, and we'll try and work that out. And then land seekers you know, understand, too, if you go to that same website, uh, the land seekers can go there. they got an introductory video. they got the video on how to fill out their application, and uh, they can read more about it there. And, of course, both groups, land seekers and landowners, need to just contact me if they have any questions. I've already fielded a handful of questions about this, and we've really only launched, launched since Tuesday. Oh, I can only imagine. Well, Alan, is there anything else that's important to mention about the Nebraska Land Link program? The, the effort is, is a combination of my, my office, basically, which is the, the Farm and Ranch Succession and Transition Office and the Women in Ag Program, and Jessica Groskoff is in charge of that. She's out at Scotts Bluff, and she's kind of a cooperator on this in that uh, the two of us, have, uh, she was the primary author. I'll give her credit for that. I put together a grant, and we have some grant money kind of in, in the background supporting this whole effort. So in Nebraska, folks, if you, if you live in Nebraska, you can apply for free. And there's a small charge for out-of-state applicants. And then, again, that's listed at the website. All right, Alan. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alex. Again, we've been visiting with Alan Vanalik. He is a farm and ranch succession educator with Nebraska Extension about the recently launched Nebraska Land Link Program. And we also have information available at ruralradio.com. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for a midday business report, and Bob Brogan has stepped in. And, uh, Bob, how are things looking so far? Stocks opened higher again today, adding to a streak that gave the market its best weekly gain since November of last week. And at about 10.37 a.m. Eastern, the S&P 500 was up 19 points to 3,906. The Dow was up 179 points at 31,327, and the Nasdaq was up 84 points to 13,000. 941. Tesla says it has invested more than a billion dollars in Bitcoin and will accept the digital currency as payment for its electric vehicles. In a regulatory filing today, Elon Musk's electric vehicle company says its board approved of the $1.5 billion investment and potentially more in the future. It says it expects to begin accepting Bitcoin as payment for its high-end cars in the near future subject to applicable laws and initially on a limited basis. The critical holiday shopping season, coupled with quarantining amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, pushed board game sales up 21% at Hasbro in the fourth quarter. The toy company's Monopoly and Magic the Gathering card game were strong performers in the quarter, along with Dungeons and Dragons. And total revenue climbed 4% to $1.72 billion, slightly better than the $1.7 billion that analysts polled by Zach's investment research was calling for. Pope, Pope Francis uh, is urging governments to use the coronavirus crisis as a revolutionary opportunity to create a world that is more economically and environmentally just and where basic health care is guaranteed for all. The Pope made the appeal in his annual foreign policy address 
Pope Francis is urging governments to contribute to global initiatives to, to provide vaccines to the poor and to use the pandemic as a whole as a chance to reset what he said is a sick economic model that exploits the poor and the earth. And when the Pope speaks, people listen. <laughs> Very true. And that's the business news. By the way, did you buy uh, any of those board games there, Bob? I have some of them at home. I don't need to buy them. Oh, well, hey, you were ready to go. You were were ready for the pandemic. You bet. All right, very good. Thank you. That's Bob Rogan. Coronavirus crisis. For seasoned canine handler David Fagan, this German shepherd named Amanda is special to him. I expect this to be my last dog before I retire, but I I really enjoy it. Typically, Border Patrol handlers would head to the canine center in El Paso, Texas to pick up and train with their new dogs. But classes were canceled after the pandemic broke out in March. To keep enough working dogs at our borders, instructor Mike Lopez is temporarily holding the classes in Arizona. We're playing it by ear and doing everything we can to make sure we can get these teams out there. And we just want to actually say how grateful we are for these different sectors to allow us to do the training there. Eight agents from across the country have spent the last five weeks learning with their new dogs in Yuma, Arizona. They're trained to find hidden narcotics and people. It's great. You meet handlers from all over the the country and different environments and you learn things and pass on information to other people. This Yuma class will wrap up by the end of the week and the next team will move to Laredo, Texas. Agent Lopez says they will continue to hold classes elsewhere until COVID cases go down in El Paso. In Yuma County, Arizona, Stephanie Bennett, Fox News. The Dawson County Cattlemen held their annual meeting this past Saturday night in Cozad. Among the highlights of the evening was the induction of a new member into the Dawson County Cattlemen Hall of Fame. Board member Shannon Peterson read the nomination for Terry Crawford of Walking Sea Cattle Company of Lexington. Terry takes great pride in his family and his Red Angus cow herd. He enjoys going out to the pasture and putting out mineral and checking cows. Terry has a lot of, seen a lot of changes in ranching since Walking Sea was first established. Crawford is a longtime cattleman, and after the banquet, he talked with me a little bit more about his operation. When I graduated from college, uh, all I could think about was getting a pasture. And uh, I can't tell you how many different sales we, my wife and I went to. And we're, we're not successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally we got the ranch that we have now uh, back in 78. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've uh, always had the goal of having cows and then feeding the calves out. And we finally reached that. And we've, the other goal was to have all the cows have one brand, the Walk and See brand. Yes. And we've reached that now. and Because, uh, you know, it took years to... Uh, change comes slow, mm-hmm. and it took a lot of years to get to the point we're at today. Yeah. Your your main cow calf herd is the Red Angus breed. So tell right. me, what is it about the Red Angus that you like? Well, what I like because we feed them out, and they usually end up feeding them out in the summertime, and they can stand the heat a lot better mm-hmm. than the black cattle, or they seem to be right. And that's one thing I like about it. And they're Angus, and, you know, everybody knows that Angus is probably the best carcass. Mm-hmm. And the Reds are, are Angus, so they we've been working really hard to try and improve the carcass. Uh, we sell them to Tyson on uh, Graydon Yield, and uh, so we've been working really hard to improve that all the time. 
You're almost close enough. You can just have a cattle drive to the uh, Tyson plant in Lexington. Yeah, we're only a mile and a half from Tyson. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, you've had some opportunity in research in, uh, for your herd. That has to be uh, feel good to do that to contribute to the cattle industry. Yeah, we uh, the university came out, oh, it's been 20 years ago, and started DNA testing. And they, what they wanted to do was to be able to tell which bulls were producing which calves. And at that time, the DNA wasn't as good as it is today. And uh, the Red Angus breed has this pretty small uh, gene pool. And they couldn't determine. I had too many bulls that were closely related. And, uh, but now the gene pool, I mean, the DNA testing is getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. And we DNA test our heifers. And... Uh, to try and, and take the top end of those to try and improve our herd all the time. Well, tell me, uh, what's it like to be honored by your peers like this this oh, evening? It was a, really a surprise. I wasn't going to come because I had kind of a sinus infection. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally my daughter said, you've got to go die. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's quite an honor. I, I don't feel like I deserve it, you know, cause, but uh, it is quite an honor. I've, I'm very humble. Very good. We'll be visiting with Terry Crawford from Walking Sea Cattle Company in Lexington, and he was honored this evening into the Dawson County Cattlemen's Hall of Fame. And I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Patent on the Rural Radio Network as we talk now to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. John, as the, the settlements start to roll across the screen, a strong day of gains, which outweighs more right now, Brazilian Harvest Progress or tomorrow's WASDE report? Oh, the WASDE for sure. I mean, I, I can't imagine we're getting news that's going to send this thing tremendously lower, but that's why they call them surprises. Um, I think you're looking for demand adjustments, which is basically tomorrow's report. You're looking for them up in corn at, uh, as far as exports, feed demand, and then on ethanol, I think down a little bit. Um, that could offset a factor there. On the bean side, I doubt we see exports come up much. Um, kind of seemed slow in the last month, but yeah, the, the trade doesn't care right now. You get an export report like Fridays, and then you start mixing in weather problems. And I don't say there's problems quite yet, but you're talking about a market that, uh, you know, C&B is a little lower on this first crop, and I think they're scaring the corn bulls here, thinking that the more full-season crop, which is corn in Brazil, is going to be suffering as well. So short-term here, I think there's more upside. I wouldn't be shocked if we score high tomorrow, and that holds for a little bit. But uh, the one really to watch is the December. You know, we're trading – everything else is broken out, but the beast now trades 58, 458, the recent high – was 68, well, no, 66. So if we can close the week above these price levels at like 65, 66, there's probably a resumption in the trend as far as December goes. If it doesn't, maybe some back inflation, you know, as we, uh, we continue to talk up a big crop that's coming in the U.S. And when we look at South America, can we start to shave down a little bit on that 133 metric, million metric tons if the harvest progress continues at this slow pace? Yeah, I... I think it'll be interesting. You're not seeing a lot of write-downs yet. Um, stuff you and I read are been keeping them right around 132, 133. Even like a, the, the most bullish folks are still like 128. So that that isn't much. You're talking about maybe you know less than five percent. Um, but if you get a big write-down, and that that could still happen, given that you know they have a whole season to grow here. 
So the later they get the corn in, this is where corn is kind of poisoned, um, the later they'll harvest it. So there's some issues with that. And I, again, the markets are going through an index roll as well. So there's some action here to take advantage of. Uh, the one I really like, and to be honest with you, is Casey Wheat. I think that's what we have the normalization of protein here. I think Casey Wheat's a little undervalued. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Again, if you'd like to sign up for John's daily free newsletter, why not visit danielzagmarketing.com. That's where you can sign up for the newsletter this week in Grain. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up today's edition of Midday. You can tune in to the Midday Podcast, available at krvn.com. That is sponsored by Deveni Motors.